Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Coming up this week, rumors are heating up that alcohol may be coming to the Disneyland Park. Uh, in this week's Same But Different, we're going to talk about the Walt Disney World Railroad versus the Disneyland Railroad. And Mary Jo Mulatto Willie is going to be joining us to tell her three things you absolutely have to do outside Disneyland. All that coming up next. From the Bob Varley Studio in Orlando, Florida, and points around Southern California, this is the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. This is the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged, episode 735 for the week of July 9th, 2018. The Diz Unplugged is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel. Let the experts at Dreams help you plan every part of your next Disneyland vacation. Their concierge planning services are brought to you at no additional charge. Visit them on the web at www.dreamsunlimitedtravel.com and start planning your next Disneyland vacation today. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Coming to you from the Bob Varley Studio in Orlando, Florida, I'm your host, Pete Werner, joined this week, as always, by my good friends, Mr. Rhino Clavin. Hello. Out in California, Mr. Tyler Crouch. Hey, everyone. Along with Ms. Katrina Manzoni. And <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> there you go. Um, and uh, joining us uh, this week, the lovely and talented Ms. Mary Jo Mulatto Willie. Hey, everybody. There she is. Um, so welcome to the show, everyone. Hope uh, your week is off to a good start. Um, we have some definitely some things we want to talk about this week, uh, namely these rumors that have been kind of swirling around, but we've, and I'm not going to name sources, but um, we're getting from two different fairly good sources that these rumors may actually have some validity to it, that alcohol will be served in Disneyland Park. Now, Tyler, you brought this to me. Why don't you talk a little bit about what you've heard? So the main thing that I've heard and that the thing that everybody has been wondering about Star Wars, you know, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, when it finally opens, they have always said that there's going to be a cantina there. And it's like, well, what's, you know, what will they serve at this cantina if it's not alcohol? I mean, everybody's going to want to have some type of space drink, uh, and so that's the main thing I've been I've been hearing is that there there's going to be alcohol when the cantina opens, and then along with that, I wonder. I mean, they're building the Tropical Hideaway right now, which is a new space in Adventureland. They've taken over uh, what used to be Aladdin's Oasis, and they're building the Tropical Hideaway. And I'm curious if that's going to have some type of uh, alcohol as well. Uh, that's you know not something I've necessarily heard, but that's just me speculating. I mean, it could be a good way to keep some you know Trader Sam's to keep Trader Sam's maybe not quite so crowded. Uh, and then yeah, from there you know a lot like what's been happening in the Magic Kingdom, where a lot of the uh, sit-down restaurants you know, slowly we're getting beer and wine. I'm, I'm wondering if maybe we'll start seeing that sort of thing at Blue Bayou and whatnot. Well, here's uh, my, uh, here's my, my, my thoughts on that. Um, uh, you know, I, I think I was the only person upset when they started serving wine 
beer and wine at Be Our Guest in the Magic Kingdom, saying, this is a slippery slope, because the whole thing was, oh, it's in theme, because it's in France, and it was all part of the theme, and we have to serve wine because it's in theme. <laughs> it's consistent with the storyline. Um, and now, sure enough, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Uh, all the sit-down, I'm pretty, pretty sure all the sit-down locations in the Magic Kingdom are now serving uh, beer and wine. Um, not much of a reaction from the Walt Disney World fans. But as we've talked about before, there is a distinct difference between Walt Disney World fans and Disneyland fans. Disneyland fans tend to get a lot more upset when things go off script from what Walt's initial vision was. So I'm going to throw this over to you, Mary Jo. Um, what do you think the response is going to be if they, in fact, do attempt to bring alcohol into Disneyland Park, specifically when it was something that Walt had said he didn't want? Now, they do do it at Club 33, but that is ultra-exclusive. It's not like regular uh, for everybody. Everybody can get into Club 33. It's a really exclusive space, but this obviously would be for everyone, Mary. Joe, what do you think the reaction is going to be if it happens? Okay, well, I don't really consider myself to a total Disney purist that gets upset about different things like some people are. However, I am going to say that I think that myself and other Disneyland um, fans are going to be are not going to like it. I am really opposed to it. I don't care that uh, there's a cantina in Star Wars land. To me, when Walt Disney built Disneyland, and I think that a lot of fans are going to think this also, when you say, and I know they have this at the Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World also, but at Disneyland, when you say, here you leave, you know, when we go to um, the Disneyland Magic Kingdom, we're leaving all the problems and all of the outside influences out of the picture. And we're going to a place where we can just enjoy the fantasy of, of, being in an environment where we can enjoy ourselves with our families and, and friends or even to go by ourselves. And I don't think alcohol has a place at Disneyland. And I think a lot of the fans are going to say the same thing, that Disneyland is the one place that where you can go and not have alcohol in any of the restaurants or any place except Club 33, which, like you said, is totally exclusive. And that that's a different experience. So I don't think that... In the beginning, fans will will really like this, and I think they'll be very vocal about it. Tyler, Katrina, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I kind of, I'm kind of with Mary Jo, but then I'm kind of not. I as long as in my mind, because I was telling Tyler about this, as long as I don't see it like how you're able to walk around Disney California Adventure, you're allowed to have the discount like that, you know, yellow cup where you can have beer or wine walking around the park. I think as long as it's at a sit-down area, I'm okay with it, but I just don't want people walking around with it. I don't want that to happen at Disneyland, for people to walk around the park with an alcohol beverage in their hand. I think if I go to the Blue Bayou and we pay, like, what, $35 or something for a steak, I, I do want to have a nice glass of wine with it. <laughs> um, and then for Galaxy's Edge, I think that would be really cool if, as long as it's in the cantina, not walking around Galaxy's Edge with it. And, uh, you know... Uh, you know, and just in full disclosure, I'm a recovering alcoholic, so my my attitude toward this stuff uh, is a little skewed. Um, so I just want to put that out there. But um, an aspiring alcoholic sitting next to me, Rhino Clavin, um, what do you think? 
Well, I was trying to look it up to see if there was specific, like, did he specifically say, I don't want alcohol in this park, or was it just part of an image thing? Because apparently there was, like, a rumor that he didn't want the smell, he didn't like the smell of alcohol drying on the pavement, if he spilled the drink, stuff like that. Um, and I, I'm looking this up. There was something called Holiday Land, I guess, which was an area, like a corporate air, picnic area that was behind Haunted Mansion at one time, um, where they served all-you-could-drink beer, and it had its own, like, little entrance in there. And then, of course, the monorail had the, um, the bar area that it would – when it used to go through the Disneyland Hotel and stuff like that. So it's clear, like, while – had alcohol being served sort of in and around very easily accessible areas to guests. So I don't know. And he himself was known to be quite a drinker. So people saying like, oh, Walt didn't specifically want this. I don't know. And I don't know that you could necessarily say for sure, for sure what he would want. But I don't really have an issue with it being at like what Katrina's talking about, like a sit down you know, are you are you enjoying the drink, or are you just trying to get plastered? You know what I mean. I think I think there's there's a difference there. But so. there's no, uh, you know, there's really no way to gauge that. You know, true. Um, and um, you know, you speak about Walt Disney uh, liking his cocktails. I remember the first time I was able to go up into the apartment uh, over the firehouse on Main Street. Walt, for those don't, who don't know, Walt kept an apart, a small apartment over the firehouse on Main Street where he would kind of supervise work as Disneyland was being built and then it was just kind of a little respite for him in the park. Um, but I noticed this, you know, uh, this set uh, by the by the sink that said Tom and Jerry. And mm. I thought, wow, so Walt was a fan of the Tom and Jerry cartoons? Oh, no, yeah. Um, I didn't realize that was, yeah. that was a, a mixed drink. And that was what Walt, one of the things Walt liked. And he had this Tom and Jerry set there in the, so no, he didn't, you know, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't anti-alcohol, but. I think he knew there was a time and a place maybe for it. And, and I, I, I was reading too that it also could have been, you know, at that time he was creating a whole, there was only amusement parks, there weren't theme parks. And so he was creating a new type of environment. And at that time, I, th- I think when you think of like an amusement park, you think more of like a county fair or, um, you know, sort of places where, like, alcohol is an attraction, almost? Well, you know, whether he said it or not, whether he ever said, I don't want alcohol in my park or not, Yeah. the fact is, you know, popular belief among Disney fans is that it's a no-no, um, that you don't serve alcohol in the Magic Kingdom. Um, so... I just wonder because, you know, the people that will chain themselves to things are the folks out in California. Of course, yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering. I'm, I'm wondering what kind of response, should this turn out to be true? Um, you know, they can get away with things here they can't in California. Um, but then again, you know, they seem to be wanting to piss off their annual pass holders lately. So maybe that's maybe, – maybe there's, maybe there's a, a – a, Maybe there's another another side to it. Hey, we can get alcohol in here and piss off the annual pass holders at the same time. I've never really understood the complete aversion to no alcohol in the Magic Kingdom. Like, I've never really had an issue with there not being alcohol in there. But I, I've, I've never understood because the argument saying like, well, that's the family. Like, all these parks are family parks. Like, you are supposed to be essentially having the same experience. I think we can get on. Bo- I think we can get on board that you know. Alcohol and families don't necessarily go together like a hand in a glove. Um, 
so I, I and I, so I mean, when you talk about wholesome family, you know, drinking really doesn't kind of mesh into that 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 image. Um, I, I also think that <laughs> I also think that more and more Disney is becoming loved by a lot of adults that don't necessarily bring their kids on a regular basis or even have kids. And I know that, you know, for the majority of people, they're still bringing their entire family. They're still bringing the young ones and stuff. But I, I think that, like I said, more and more just people are coming on their own and, you know, people that are able to drink. And, you know, with the exception of maybe like one time in Epcot, which is known as like the drinking park, basically, uh, with the with the drinking around the world thing, I've never seen super drunk people at California Adventure. I've never I've never been walking around and been like, oh my gosh, they need to get rid of this alcohol because everybody's wasted. So for me, I don't know. I feel like people are still more respectful at Disney than they are at maybe some other places you would be able to get alcohol. Okay, I have a I have the quote now. Okay. So Rhino has found the quote. That negates everything I said. So um he Walt Disney himself um uh said to journalist Pete Martin for the Saturday Evening Post in the summer of 1956, when he asked about Disneyland, um, what makes it so different from other amusement parks, he said, no liquor, no beer, nothing, because that brings in a rowdy element. That brings people that we don't want, and I feel they don't need it. I feel when I go down to the park, I don't need a drink. That's weird, but I, I work around that place all day and I don't have one. I work around that place all day and I don't have one. This man is lying in this quote. A after I come out of a heavy day at the studio, sometimes I want to drink to relax. Okay, so he admits to drinking at the studio, but he, d he says he doesn't need one at the at Disneyland. So, well, you know, okay. So taking Walt's words, uh, it, it will bring out bring in a rowdy element. And uh, Tyler, what you were just saying was that hasn't borne out. Uh, at California Adventure that, you know, I've it served it. it served pretty, pretty openly all around California Adventure. And you really haven't seen or heard a lot of problems with folks getting overly drunk and being disruptive. Mary Jo, have you heard anything to that effect? Um, I know that when they had the parties at California Adventure, there were some problems. I know of a friend who I cannot name that um, was attacked in a restroom. This was Voldemort. Okay, yeah. This was at California. This this is at California Adventure um, when they had those part the tea party the big oh, the mad tea party, the mad tea party with a lot of drinking, and so I know that things happen. Disney's very good at keeping things undercover. Disney's very good at taking care of issues so that they don't affect the normal guest. But I'm not going to say that it nothing ever happens. At California Adventure, and I but it's not that. been, to the best of your knowledge, it's not been a widespread. You know, this is a constant problem because they're serving alcohol in California Adventure, and people are getting rowdy and crazy. Whereas at Disneyland, because there's no alcohol, everything's fine. You're you're not necessarily I, seeing that. I, I agree with Katrina on, on that. No, I haven't seen. I I understand the rowdier element. I don't see that at California Adventure versus Disneyland. I don't see that because of the drinking either. I just think as as long as they don't sell like hard alcohol, like a full bar at the cantina, maybe they might do like a pre-mixed drink, kind of how they did it at the Mad Tea Party, that they make it look like it's like a cantina with all these kind of alcohol, but they only have maybe like four or five specialty pre-mixed drinks, so they control the alcohol content in the drink. Uh, I think that might be helpful, maybe. And I, I think... Uh, 
Also, if you buy if you're buying alcohol at a stand, it's a two drink maximum. If you if you're getting it sitting down, then you can drink a little more. But and yeah, of course you can go to like another person and find another drink. I'm sure, but you know, I, I also think that when it comes to like things like the Mad Tea Party, that environment also kind of encouraged that. It wasn't just the drinking; it was also like, hey, we're partying here. It was like the party environment, yeah. which which you're not gonna band, yeah, so. and you're not gonna find that environment necessarily at Disneyland. Um, at least I don't I, think I see that coming. It's so. just it's interesting because it, it, you know, especially at Disneyland compared to Walt Disney World. So the I, the argument is, I would say, like our Magic Kingdom. I'm not really against it in the sit down restaurants because y you know it's not you you can't really just like walk out the gate and grab a drink. Whereas at Disneyland, you can literally just walk out the front gate and grab a drink right here at Downtown Disney, or you know. It's I can walk over to the contemporary. To California I can walk to the contemporary from the Magic Kingdom and get drunk. Yeah, um, and and I so I guess you can get it there. I'm just saying it's it it feels closer and easier accessible outside of the Disneyland park as opposed to here for me. I, I feel like you have to go through a few more hoops here, but I don't know. I I, 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 don't, just, I, I don't know how I feel about it. They literally just built a new bar too at the at the Naples. So there's a bar even closer now than it used to be ever than it ever used to be, and it's it's right out there. It's the second restaurant in downtown Disney, so you, it's very it is very easy to get alcohol right outside the park. It's always been that way though. Back in I think Pete mentioned it earlier. Back went before um, downtown Disney and California Adventure. People would get on the monorail. They'd go to the Disneyland Hotel and go to the Neon Cactus which was a, a little bar that they had there at the hotel and, and have their drinks there. Doesn't matter to me that you can get it outside Disneyland. When I'm in the park, I think it's nice that there's at least one environment where families and other people can go where there is no alcohol for mm -hmm. the for the main consumer. I don't think people are going to get drunk because at the prices they're going to charge for these drinks. <laughs> somebody, yeah, that, never somebody has to be <laughs> that never slowed me down. <laughs> <laughs> well. That never slowed me down, but but then again, I was a professional, so um, or maybe not, maybe not because I ended up in rehab, so I don't know how good was I. Um, all right, so it's an interesting, you know, it's inter it'll be interesting to see how this develops, um, you know, with uh, with Galaxy's Edge uh, getting ever closer to opening next year. Uh, at some point, this will go from rumor to either fact or fiction and we'll know whether or not they're going to be doing this but i'm curious to see what the reaction of uh disneyland fans are going to be should it should it uh come to pass so all right let's move on and uh i think we're gonna go to miss mary joe now for those who listened to the previous version of the disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged, uh, Mary Jo did a regular series called Day Six. And we're kind of rebooting that here. And I, I want Mary Jo to start off by just explaining what Day Six is, and then she's going to tell us what some of her suggestions are for ways to spend your Day Six at Disneyland. So I'll turn that over to you, Mary Jo. Okay, Doke. So Day Six, uh, for those of you who've heard us talk about it, stands for, well, let me start, go back a little bit. Disneyland only sells five-day park hoppers. That's the max you can get, as opposed to Walt Disney World, where you can get, uh, what, eight, nine, ten-day park hoppers. At Disneyland, 
they sell five-day park hoppers and you cannot add to that if you want to have six days or more at the Disneyland Resort you either have to buy a one-day park hopper which is pretty expensive or you have to upgrade to an annual pass and sometimes especially for people who are only going for you know they they go to Disneyland every other year or something it doesn't make sense for them to get to get the annual passes so for families who come out for the week uh, to Los Angeles and, L and Disneyland, what do you do on that sixth day? And so we came up with a day six um, opportun opportunities to, to do other things when you can't be at Disneyland Park or California Adventure. So Mary Jo, I asked you to come up with three things that people absolutely must do on their day six, on their, their that extra day that they can't, may not want to spend that that money on on, on an extra park hopper. Um, what three things uh, do you think are absolute must dos for folks? Okay, well, Southern California has so many different things to do. Um, in Los Angeles itself, or within a couple hours drive. So I picked three things that I think families can do, especially now during the summer. So the first thing when you come to Los Angeles is see Los Angeles. And I actually put this on Google Maps, plotting these different areas. I say even going from the Disneyland Resort, for this, you're gonna have to rent a car because the public transportation in Southern California or the Los Angeles area, we have it, but it takes so long to get from one place to another waiting for trains, buses, and the metro, it's just so much easier to have a car. So rent a car. You can do that at the at the Disneyland Resort. And what this one is, I call it the, we used to call it the Mulatto Inland Tour because we would always take family and friends on this. And it's basically a tour of the LA area. And I always say start off at the LA Griffith Observatory. That observatory opens at 10 a.m. And the reason why I say get there right when it opens or right before it opens is because there are a lot of people that like to go hiking in the area or go up to visit the, the observatory. If you go there later in the day, the parking is going to be too much or, or you're going to have to park down the hill and walk up. And the reason why I picked the, the observatory is because you have a nice overview of Los Angeles. The tour of the observatory is free and that in itself is very interesting and you have a great view of the Hollywood sign up above where you can get your pictures and a lot of people like to get pictures of the Hollywood sign since it's one of our popular landmarks here that can take anywhere it depends on you if I've taken people there where we spend a couple of hours at the observatory or we spent 15 20 minutes there at the observatory and then we've gone on our way and what I like to do is after the observatory go back down the hill um, in Griffith Park, go on Hollywood Boulevard and drive up Hollywood Boulevard towards um, the Hollywood Highland Complex. When you drive up this way, you're gonna, you're gonna see some of the scenes that are popular. They have them at California, excuse me, at Hollywood Studios at Walt Disney World. Like you have the Crossroads of America, um, Crossroads of the World, I think it's called, mm -hmm. and other landmarks that you have there in Walt Disney World that you're gonna actually see here where they got the inspiration. The Tower of Terror, the, you have the Hollywood Hotel, or it's called the Hollywood Tower, I think it's called. 
or Tower Hotel. And the facade of that building is exactly what they've done at Hollywood Studios for the um, Tower Hotel. The, the Hollywood Tower Hotel. Yeah, the Hollywood Tower Hotel. There you go, baby. Um, and so once you drive through there, the next stop I would say would be the Hollywood Highland um, intersection, which is a mall, and this is where they have the Academy Awards, and also where they have the famous Grauman's Chinese Theater, or it's ca- now called the, called the TLC Theater. I still call it Grauman's Chinese yeah. Theater. And you have the Hollywood stars. You can see the Disney. You mean the, uh, uh, the you're talking about you're, you're talking about the Walk of Fame, uh, the Crossroads yeah, of the World. They, crossroads of the World is actually the start of the Hollywood Walk of Fame, where the cele- celebrities get their stars on the Walk of Fame. So I just want to make sure that's clear. Correct. And across the street from this complex is the El Capitan Theater that is owned by Disney. And they have the Ghirardelli ice cream place. And you can go there. Um, there's just so many options. When you're there at the Hollywood Highland, you can take a tour of the stars' homes. You can take a tour of Hollywood. You can take a tour that goes up to the Hollywood sign. You can just walk up and see, like, the, the I call them strange people, but there are people dressed up in all different kinds of costumes. However, if you do want to take a picture with them, it's going to cost you money. You don't have to do that. You could just take in the atmosphere. And that, again, that's another, you tailor your time, how much you want to spend there. A lot of people who have never been to Hollywood are going to be surprised because they think Hollywood is this magical land that's far away. And it's in the middle of the city, and it's kind of gritty in that area. I, I liked your choice of the word gritty. Gritty. Yeah, that was a, that was seems like a nicer way, a nicer word to use. <laughs> well, that area, you know, um, when we do our Adventures by Disney backstage magic tours, that's where it starts. It starts at the uh, the Lowe's uh, Lowe's Renaissance or the what is it called now? It's changed names like sixteen times, but it's the. I think it is the, the Lowe's Hotel. Now. The Lowe's Hollywood, the Lowe's Hollywood Hotel, which is part of that Hollywood and Highland complex, and that whole complex, which makes up that hotel. Uh, there's a shopping, a, a three-story shopping area yeah. um, in between that hotel and the Kodak Theater, which hosts the Academy Awards, was built specifically because that area was so seedy and they wanted an area to kind of be cleaner and better. And so that's really why they built that Hollywood and Highland mm-hmm. complex. And as you mentioned, across the street, the El Capitan Theater, which Disney purchased, I forgot when, um, back in the 90s, I believe it was, and completely rehabbed it, and it's an absolutely stunning theater. If you get a chance to see a movie in that theater, it is—you will not forget it. It's got one of the one of the—I uh, think it's only there's only two of them in the world. This pipe organ that is just absolutely breathtaking, hmm. um, and they do a whole—it's like the old days where they do these old old shows before the movie. Sometimes there'll be live stage show going on before the movie it's never just the movie there's always something before it and you can get vip seating and all this other stuff if you ever get a chance that is really cool mm-hmm. so there. yeah I, I love that theater it's 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 hollywood in its glory days in the 40s that's what it is with the how elaborate and in, and how intricate the decorations are and like you said Pete they don't just do movies there especially when the movies first come out or an animated feature they have live shows, the organs playing music. Um, we saw Coco there when it first opened, and it was they had folklorical dancers on the stage. Then they also have a certain part. It's I think in the because the theater you walk upstairs, so it's on the first floor. They have costumes. They have 
a lot of when we saw Pirates of the Caribbean there, we went down and they had the original costumes that they wore and some of the the props that they had in the movie were down there. And they do this for all of their movies. So if you come to LA during a time when they're having uh, when there a new movies just opening, make sure to check to see what they're having at the El Capitan Theater so you can take advantage of seeing this this part of Hollywood that they have kept the traditions. It's really beautiful. That's so, cool. Yeah. So again, this is what I'm talking about. It's up to you how much time you want to spend there. From the Highland and the Hollywood Highland. Another thing I want to say about the Hollywood and Highland, you were talking about the mall, Pete. They have these two huge elephant statues there that they have at the entrance to Hollywood Boulevard at California Adventure. So it's very cool to see where they Disney gets these the inspiration for some of the buildings that and, they have in these parks. And I I, I believe they are uh, they are a replica. The ones at Hollywood and Highland are a life-size replica of the one Cecil B. DeMille used in, I want to say Samson and Delilah, but I'm not sure what the movie was. But it was um, one of the, it was from an old silent movie that Cecil B. DeMille directed. I'm pretty sure I may be getting my facts wrong here, but I do know that they are replicas of that. And that's kind of supposed to harken back to the, 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 the earliest days of Hollywood. And that's kind of paying homage. Those those are paying homage uh, to that, that that point in Hollywood. I that plus when you walk up the stairs, if you remember how they have uh, how people arrived in Hollywood, you follow that that red carpet up the stairs at the at, at the which, Kodak Theater. Yes, at the Kodak Theater. Well, it's now called the Nokia Theater. The Nokia Theater, right? <laughs> it's always going to be the Kodak <laughs> Theater to me, but you know, yeah, poor Kodak. sponsors. But anyway, it's a very interesting place to go. To, to visit and to spend some time. And if you also, if you time it right, you can uh, you can pay to do a tour of well, the Nokia Theater and kind of see where the Oscars are filmed and see backstage and uh, do all that good stuff. So where to after Hollywood and Highland? After Hollywood and Highland, we're gonna you head west um, towards the ocean and you're gonna eventually turn left and you're gonna and go on Sunset Boulevard because on Sunset Boulevard they have other interesting places to see. I usually go towards the Beverly Hills Hotel, which is a very famous hotel here. And right about that part, uh, you get Rodeo Drive. And we go down Rodeo Drive. For those, well, <laughs> there, there's so much to see over there. And going down Rodeo Drive, the, the part that's where you actually uh, see the stores that's really famous is very short. You're going to go through some neighborhoods where famous people live, but unless you go on a tour, you don't know who lived where. Houses are still very interesting. You see those big palm trees that, that always are shown in movies when they show Los Angeles and these big wide streets. And you can, on Rodeo Drive, you can either stop in a building or just check it out. Sometimes people will stop and they'll go to Tiffany's and buy the smallest little charm so they can say they bought something on, on Rodeo Drive. <laughs> the end of Rodeo Drive, there's Wilshire Boulevard. And here we turn left to go back. We're, we're going east now on Wilshire Boulevard. And this is called the Miracle Mile because of the um, the cost of the businesses, just the high volume of dollars in that area. And you're going to come to a place that is very interesting in my book, and it's called the La Brea Tar Pits. Oh, I can't wait to go there. Yeah, we're going to take you there. <laughs> the La Brea Tar Pits. Can you throw them in? Place- I'm sorry? Can you throw them in? 
<laughs> no, I love Ryan. I'm not going to do that. Ryan. She loves Ryan. <laughs> but um, the La Brea, La Brea Tar Pits is a place, there were no dinosaurs, but you have woolly mammoths, you have mastodons, you have saber-toothed cats, sloths, animals that lived in the Los Angeles area tens of thousands of years ago. And they got caught up in it's not really... Uh, La Brea meets tar, so I like to call it the tar-tar pits, <laughs> but it's really an asphalt pit that there's this lake under underneath of asphalt where the, all the buildings around in that area is called Hancock Park. All the buildings have to have a special seal so that this tar doesn't, or this asphalt doesn't seep up into the homes. It's really interesting, and there are some years where you'll be walking on the sidewalk or you'll look on the, the have, it's a park, you'll be walking and you'll see where a pit will, I mean, the bubbles will start coming up through the grass and they always put a cone over it and it just gets bigger and bigger and they eventually have to circle these in. Well, they have excavated these pits and with the fossils that they've pulled out of them, they created a, they built a museum called the Page Museum where they've put together animals and they tell you what life was like back in those days. It's fascinating that in the middle of this metropolis called Los Angeles, that there's this site that has this evidence of these ancient animals that walked the earth in those times. It's fascinating to me. That area also has other museums. If you wanted, the LACMA Museum is right there next to it and other places that are interesting. Now, the corner of this, Wilshire and Fairfax, if you go up the street, you're going to hit another very famous place here in Los Angeles called Farmer's Market. Yay, so Farmer's you a, Market. You've been there before, right? Love Kate? it. Love it. So the Farmer's Market was built in the 1920s. And it was, as you can think of Farmer's Market t today, that's basically what it what it was. People from their ranches would bring in the, their produce and fresh meat and everything, people would go buy it. And that place just got bigger and bigger. Um, next to it, part of, part of the same property, they have the Grove. So the Grove is a modern outdoor marketplace with a nice movie theater. I go there often with my friends to the movies. It's a great place to go. They have outdoor cafes. Um, they have concerts at night in this little park there. They have this beautiful fountain with dancing waters. It's really cool. And as you walk from one end of the grove to the other, then you hit Farmer's Market, which has retained its early 1920s look and feel. And there you have booths that make food, booths of food from all over the world, it seems, but they use local produce. And you can eat there. We typically will eat at Farmer's Market because we like, we would rather eat there than in a, a chain restaurant. We want something that's unique. And a lot of these places have come up on the Food Network, um, like Bob's Donuts and other places. And they have um, these, um, like those cake, those cake ice cream cones. They dip it in chocolate and they put espresso in it and you can drink it. And there's other unique type of food there. And we just really enjoy it. So I would say definitely you need to stop at but Farmer's now you, you 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 don't suggest that somebody could do all of this in one day, right? I mean, Griffith Observatory, Hollywood and Highland, the La Brea Tar Pits, uh, Farmers Market. 
you know, maybe two of those things in the course of a day, but you don't think that, I mean, to really like take it in and enjoy it. Can you really do that all in one day? You haven't been with me on one of my tours. No, because I'm terrified <laughs> that I'm going to die because you're going to make me do all this crap in one day. <laughs> I, I not only picked up fellow Dizzers, we did this and we went to Santa Monica Pier so we could see the end of Route 66 and made it back to the Lowe's Hotel so they could uh, be there at the ABD dinner. All right. I'm coming in early for my next ABD the end of July. You're on. Okay. I want you to <laughs> show right. me how I can do this all in one day. And Rhino will be there with me. I want to go to the tar pits. And Rhino will be there with me. And we'll vlog it. But okay. you have to prove to me because, like, I'm exhausted just listening to you. <laughs> well, well, I'm like, see, I'm, like three things you absolutely, absolutely have to do. She's on number one, and she's already talked about 17 things. I know. It's like, so yeah. it's like, okay. Well, this, this is a mega day. This is a high energy because there's a lot of – you're going to go and you're going to see these things. But it's a taste of L.A., you're not going to see these places in depth because any any couple of them could be a, a full day thing, right? Depending on what you do. That's why I say you have to look at it. And like I said, I mapped all of this out on Google Maps so that you can see the distance where these locations are. And if you want to break it up into two days, you can do so. Or if you just want to go do one thing, but you can definitely do all of this in one day. Okay. So. And and you could end your evening at the at Santa Monica Pier and have a drink or enjoy and watch the sunset at Santa Monica Pier. And that's another beautiful thing here in Southern California. So that's that's one of my items. Yeah, that's one thing, <laughs> folks. So you know, so so hunker down. This is gonna be a long show. Um, <laughs> so much for bullet points. Go ahead. What's number two? Sorry. Well, the other two are, are more relaxing because that one is a high energy. So my second one that I'm going to say is Laguna Beach. Mm, I've never been. And the reason why I pick Laguna Beach is because it's absolutely gorgeous. During the summertime, they have what they call the Sawdust Festival. And what the Sawdust Festival is, there's probably two or three little venues that feature local artists. And they have all kinds of art that, from paintings to jewelry to uh, woodworking, glass making, all kinds of art. And you go there and you see what they have and you can buy it. And they have classes where they teach you different days. They teach hmm. different things on what to do. And this is on a, a canyon leading down to Laguna Beach. I've gone there with my friends and spent the entire day. We've gone in the morning, uh, had breakfast there gone to the Sawdust Festival, walked around the cute little downtown area. Laguna Beach is a artsy, kitschy type of town. And you can go there and just tailor it to what you like. Like I said, you can go to the Sawdust Festival. You can go downtown, check the shops. You can go down to the beach and sunbathe down there, swim in the swim in the waters. It's it's rather than the other beaches here that are really long, like Long Beach and Torrance Beach, these have a lot of coves and cliffs, so it's very picturesque. Then in the evening, there's another show called Pageant of the Masters, and I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but Pageant of the Masters is where you have a group of, I'll call them actors, and they do living portraits. Hmm. And when you see them on stage, it looks like you're seeing the, an actual painting because they're motionless. They have an orchestra playing music. 
So imagine yourself in an amphitheater in Southern California, beautiful weather. It's kind of cooled down. It's not hot. The orchestra's playing music. Maybe you're having a, a snack or wine or something, and you're looking at these people portray living portraits. Every year it's a different theme. Um, they might, if the portraits are black and white, the people are, everybody's painted black and white, wow. the, even the clothes. And because they're motionless, you can't, you, you, you can't tell. You think it's a, pic, it, it's a picture. Cool. Then they have people dressed as statues that, that are unveiled in addition to what you're looking down on stage. And they always end this show, I'll call it, with The Last Supper. Hmm. And to see that, whether you're up close or even further back, farther back where you might need binoculars, is an outstanding experience. So I think for if you're coming to Southern California and you're going to do something different, going to Laguna Beach, spending the day, and doing the different things that you can do there, even if, it's, if you just want to go lay on the beach. And, and walk around the town and get an ice cream or something. You can do that, and it's a, a beautiful way to spend and, the day. And speaking of the beach, for those that may be coming to California from the Northeast, they don't charge to get on their beaches. Uh, that was like the biggest shock to me, um, because in Jersey, you know, you had to pay to get on the beach. Uh, it was not free. Oh. And uh, so going out to California and like, oh, you don't charge to get on the beach? Um, so, yeah, that's just something I thought I'd throw in. Well, and and speaking of that, Laguna Beach, because it is so popular, um, there might not be parking right along the beach, but they have a shuttle that's either free or a dollar. I think it's been free. And you and you park, and it'll take you to different spots along where you can go down to the beach, go to downtown, so you don't have to be driving to all these different places. Hmm. It's just it's a great um, service that they offer the tourists and their guests because they, they, they want people to come. And they don't want it to be congested at the same time. So what, that's another. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say. So what's number three on your list? We have Los Angeles, hey. uh, the the eighty three hour tour of Los Angeles, um, <laughs> uh, Laguna Beach. What's number three? Number three is uh, it's actually Knott's Berry Farm. Knott's Berry yeah. Farm is a theme park. It's, it came before Disneyland. Actually, Walt Disney got some of his ideas and on how to do a theme park from. Walter Knott, uh, when he built it, <clears throat> it started off as a berry farm. They created the boysenberry there, which I think is pretty cool. Then became a restaurant that they still have to this day is a chicken restaurant. And they built a theme park um, because of this very famous restaurant. The theme park started with a ghost town. For those of you who want to see something different, there's actual um, artifacts to go see <laughs> over there. And they also have they have 39 rides there, 10 roller coasters, a couple of water rides. So, in addition to shows, Billy Hill and the Hall and the Hillbillies, um, they're called Kirk Wall and the Hillbillies for those who remember them. It's a funny um, musical show that they have at Nassau Farm that's really really popular. They have a birdcage theater where the old-fashioned hissing at the bad guy and ah, simpering at the heroine. Excuse me, is a very popular. Um, another show there, the Mystery Lodge is a really cool show. So they have these these shows there, in addition to um, attractions that you can share with your kids and roller coasters for those who want more of the thrill rides and don't want to drive too far to a, a Six Flag type park. So this was purchased by Cedar 
uh, Cedar Parks. And since then, they've been adding more roller coasters to it. It's, it's. I would put this in the middle. I, I wouldn't put this at the end of a trip. Maybe not start your trip with Knott's Berry Farm because you can't really compare it to the quality of Disneyland. It's um, less expensive to go to Knott's Berry Farm by far, and you can tell by the crowds there. At the same time, I love it. I think Tyler goes there a lot too. And, yeah, and um, the nice, the really cool thing about Knott's Berry Farm is Tony Baxter, the the famous Imagineer who created you know rides like Splash Mountain and Big Thunder Mountain and stuff. He went on the log ride over at Knott's Berry Farm, the Timber Mountain uh, log ride, and that's where he got inspired to make Splash Mountain. So if you ever want to see one of the things that you know inspired Tony Baxter. I mean, that's, that is still one of my favorite rides that I've ever been on. I, so. I also think it's really cool. They do a lot of their own type of festivals. So they have their own, like the Boysenberry Festival, which is like our their version of like a food and wine or something. I would compare it to, I guess. But um, And Craig and I went and Tyler was with us for their – or you do this every year. But uh, the Not Scary Farm was – outstanding out of this world so if you go you gotta get the boysenberry beer though it's delicious and yes, speaking I... of scary farm sorry speaking of scary farm too that was the first theme park haunt ever oh. so it, it's a really That's it's cool. really steeped in history uh knott's berry farm was a lot of firsts and and it, it's well, good you... to see if you're a big fan of disney it's good to see knott's berry farm because you'll see a lot of the history that made Disneyland. Well, Tyler, you had mentioned to me, uh, especially last year after I tried Universal's uh, Halloween Horror Nights out there, which was an absolute disaster and awful, especially compared to ours, um, the, and, and doing Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, you were saying that really Knott's Berry Farm owns the town at Halloween. That is the place to go if you want a great Halloween experience. Uh, Mary Jo, you agree with that? I totally agree with that. They've uh, been doing their uh, Not Scary Farm since the 1970s. And I've been to it. I went back then when I was a, a teenager. And I've gone now. And I, In fact, I went with Tyler. And, and we had such a fun time. The imagination that they have in putting their, their, their haunted houses together. Every year there's something new. Right, Tyler? Mary Jo, honey, is that truck backing up right into your house? <laughs> Yeah, this is. We have three of them. This is the third one. So he's he's. Uh, I see him coming around. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Sorry. No, that's fine. What what can you do? Like usually, I've got the the neighbor uh, mowing the lawn uh, back here, so it's it's unavoidable. But uh, they so the just they just changed our trash day from Mondays to Wednesdays, and yesterday was a holiday, so. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So those are your three things for things you absolutely must experience um, on a day six at Disneyland, a tour around Los Angeles, a visit to Laguna Beach, and a visit to Knott's Berry Farms, which is really not very far at all from, from Disneyland. So these things are all fairly close, all within an yeah. hour, an hour and a half of Disneyland. Yeah, Knott's Berry Farm, you could even Uber to the, Uber there if you don't. They, ha they have shuttles that go there. You can take an art. Um, which is the local bus transportation in the Anaheim area, or you can Uber there or drive. It's super easy to get to Knott's Berry Farm. All right. Thank you very much for that, Mary Jo. We're going to move on to our last little piece here uh, for this show. We're going to uh, talk about same but different. This is where we talk about something at Disneyland and something at Disney World that are seemingly the same, but in fact have some differences that are kind of important. 
And uh, for this one, I chose the Disneyland Railroad versus the Walt Disney World Railroad. Now, seemingly, these are two very similar attractions in that they both go around their respective parks, but the differences couldn't be more stark. Um, here's, a, here's a hint. The Disneyland one is much better uh, than ours. Um, and, and, and namely, like some of the differences are, are somewhat small. Uh, for example, well, let's start with let's start with the difference in the engines that actually run these these trains. Uh, Mary Jo, before we started recording, reminded me that when we did a tour, a backstage tour, and we actually got to go to the Roundhouse out in Disneyland where they service uh, these trains. Uh, these train the trains in Disneyland run on a biodiesel fuel. In other words. It's the stuff they make the French fries with, um, is what these run on, where ours are, I believe, diesel engines. Um, they're not biodiesel. They're not using French fry oil. Um, the seats on the Disneyland Railroad face out instead of forward. Ours face forward, but there's a good reason for that. Um, and that is the difference in, in what you see. So, uh, Tyler and Katrina, talk to me about uh, what you see as the major differences between the Disneyland Railroad and the Walt Disney World Railroad. Uh, the diorama, that's for sure. Describe with to the, people what that is. With the di- oh, do you want to explain it? You're really good at explaining stuff. Well, the, <laughs> well, the diorama is, uh, they added it, I think, a little bit later, um, later, later on after they built the railroad. And they were they originally built it just to cover up a lot of the backstage area and what it is is it is it's in grand it's the grand canyon so you start out and there's a lot of static animals and uh just you're looking out over the grand canyon basically uh, and then as you go through it they take you back in time and you get to see the grand canyon when it was inhabited by dinosaurs and it wasn't really a canyon yet because you know uh it takes time to build these things but uh but yeah, so it's really cool. Um, it's it's just one of my favorite aspects. And recently, when they did the whole uh, upgrade, or when they had to do the whole upgrade to the Rivers of America out there, which they changed everything around so that they could make some more room for Star Wars. Um, when they did that, they did some little upgrades to the diorama, including like now there's a thunderbolt that strikes like right in front of the train, and and it looks really cool. They use projection technology to project things onto the glass. And it's like really neat effect. Um, that's one of the biggest. I mean, that is the biggest probably difference between Disney World and Disneyland. See, and uh, I always, but, I, I'm sorry, I always describe the difference as ours is a relaxing little ride around the park. Yours is actually an attraction. There's yeah. a yeah. lot to see uh, when you go around the Disneyland Railroad, right? Oh, yeah. And when, I mean, it especially got even better again, like I said, when they had to redo the Rivers of America. And now the train goes across this uh, raised trestle that is that you just get an amazing view of the entire river. There's all these new things that they put out there, new, you know, mountain range and stuff and, and new cabin uh and it's just really beautiful. And then I think it's picturesque because, like you, while you're going by, you could see Mark Twain go by, and then you can see 
uh, oh my gosh, the pirate ship, I forgot what it's called. The now. Columbia. The Columbia go by. So I think that's really cool when you're just like riding a train, not really thinking about it. If you've never been on it before, just seeing this like beautiful picturesque area with like ships going by. Just adds light yeah. to it, you know. And the fun so thing, is, yeah, exactly. And the fun thing too is like if the Mark Twain is going by while the train is going by, they kind of communicate with each other. They do that little shave and a haircut, two bits song, you know. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so it's just really cute. It's 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 a lot of uh, it's it's just a lot of history steeped in that stuff as well. And it 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 they've made it even more picturesque. There is a uh, little this upgrade. thing about the diorama. Um, apparently, is from the 1964 to 65 World Fair. I was going to say that. Was, yep. Yeah, it was added to Disneyland after after the fair ended, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was part of the 64 World's Fair. Yep, that's something. Uh, it came that from the there. Ford Magic Skyway from the fair. That's cool. that's correct. Right, they had the dinosaurs that. in the 1964 fair. Yeah, and then that's that's where they built that part of the diorama, and then they added the the Grand Canyon, of course. As Tyler explained, yeah, and it's interesting too because anybody who's familiar with Ellen's Energy Adventure over, which used to be over in Epcot, it's now becoming the Guardians of the Galaxy ride out there. You can see like there was the there was the battle between the Stegosaurus and the Tyrannosaurus, and it it is the exact same dinosaurs that you see at Disneyland. Right. So it's cool it's cool to see that kind of history go over to Disney World too. Well, now it's gone, but. But it was neat to see that when I first went to Disney World, I was like, "Oh, I've seen these dinosaurs." Um, but yeah, I, I think one you know one thing I really do like about the Disney World version is you get to go by the Big Thunder Mountain and you can see that sunken town uh, like really close up. That's one of my kind of favorite parts about that. But other than that, the Disney World one, I feel like there's a lot of trees, bushes, bushes and shrubbery. It's, you know, so it's the tour. It's it's, it's the shrubbery tour. It it, it yeah. really is. Whereas you know, with you guys, there's just like I don't know. There just seems to be so much more to see. I see much. I see the park, not the trees surrounding the park or the shrubs surrounding the park. Uh, one of the other differences between that I wanted to make sure we mentioned between the Walt Disney World Railroad and the Disneyland uh, Railroad is the Lily Bell. Now, Lily Bell in Walt Disney World is actually a steam engine. It's one of the engines that pulls the car. We have four, I believe. Um, whereas the Lily Bell in Disneyland is a caboose. Um, it's enclosed, and it was named for uh, Walt's wife, Lillian, and uh, used to be you could get on it uh, if your timing was right and you talked nice to one of the conductors. Now, from what Mary Jo was telling me before, it is limited to only Club 33 members and those doing VIP tours. And here's a preview. Next week, we are going to talk about the VIP tours at Disneyland because we did one last week. Um, but that's that's those are the only ones who get in there now. Um, and it's really cool. It's like an old-time, like from the 1800s, like what you would imagine a really well-appointed boxcar would look like for someone wealthy. Um, and it's a really cool experience. But I'll tell you, um, as cool as it is to ride around in the Lily Bell, you don't get the same experience. Like seeing everything else on the, the train ride um, as you do when you're sitting up in the, the cheap seats. They let people ride in it? Yeah. I thought you just got to go in and look at no, it. No, no, oh, okay. you ride around in it. I saw it when they had the train was just stationed there while they were expanding or changing the track for Star Wars. So <laughs> the, 
the conductor was nice and let me go in, but um, I didn't know they let people go in it. I thought it was just there for show. And I thought this was important to talk about because I think for Walt Disney World fans going out to Disneyland, you might be tempted to just bypass the uh, Disneyland Railroad because that's the Walt Disney World Railroad. Not that exciting. This is a lot better. This is a lot better. What else am I missing? What other changes are, are the differences? Uh, Mary Jo. One other thing oh. that I, that one other big thing that Mary I. Mary Jo, your, your voice is so deep. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't hear, I didn't hear you say that. Sorry. That's all right. Go ahead. Uh, one of the big things was uh, that you get to go by Splash Mountain as well. You get to go by the final scene of Splash Mountain and you can, at the Disneyland version, I should say. And you get to see the the steamboat that they've created. That whole scene where they're all singing zippity doo and that's like a really fun thing because you get to like look down and spy on all the people riding the ride, and and that's just a really it's it's kind of like the same thing as being on the People Mover and like going through Space Mountain at, at Disney World. Very similar to that, but you can see more. So <laughs> ours that's does exactly that too. what I was going to say. That reminded oh, me so much yeah. of, the, sorry. Of, the, of the People Mover, in that you go through Splash Mountain, and um, and you see that scene from from the ride. What I was going to add to what Pete was saying is there's four different stops at Disneyland, and sometimes people will get on the train to go from one stop to another to bypass the crowds. I highly recommend going on the entire tour of Disneyland. What they did is Walt Disney built this berm around the park so that it would hide the outside world, and on top of that berm is where they built the railroad at Disneyland. So you you have the the double purpose of of protecting the park or shielding the park from the outside world plus you have this elevated view of the park as you go through it and because you're sitting in these cars where the seats face inward to the park you can tell every land that you're going through when you're going past adventureland they're going to have some type of animal there and the conductor is going to be narrating um, the areas that you're going past. When you get to New Orleans Square, you're going to see these props outside. Uh, it's actually the the back of, I believe, parts of the Caribbean that you're going over, and you're going to see those props before you come into the station. She's just new oh, station right. is okay. pretty. Oh, there she is. Okay, you you. Uh... <laughs> Was I lagging? Yes, Sorry. you lagged. You lagged a little bit. You lagged a little bit. Okay. So Southern California gal in me. Um, <laughs> when you get to the New Orleans Square station, which at one time was the Frontierland station, you're going to hear this tapping, and I'll tell you now, it's the mm. telegraph signal. And what that what that telegraph signal is is part of the opening speech that Walt Disney gave when when they opened Disneyland. And a cool little tidbit about that is Lillian Disney knew tele that the telegraph code. And she corrected them because it was incorrect, and so she had them correct the mm. code that the the beginning of his of his statement, and that's where they refill the the steam the water for the steam engines at that station. So that's interesting. And as you uh, go through the Fantasyland uh, station, you're actually going through the facade or the beginning part of It's a Small World. So if you catch it at the right time, you see the dolls when they come out and dance. And then as you go into Tomorrowland, you're going to see part of the Utopia and some of the attractions that they have there. So every part, every part of each land has something interesting to see, um, as well as what Tyler said, which are pretty much, I think, the highlights of the, of the train ride itself. There's other things to see in the rest of the park. 
So my, uh, what, what are we missing? Anything else, Tyler, Katrina, you have anything to add in terms of differences between the two? I mean, I think it's just to recap what we said is just it's just so much more picturesque at Disneyland. I mean, it's that's really the way to yeah. just kind of encapsulate all of it together is it's just you. And like you said, Pete, it's just an attraction more than, you know, a means to get somewhere, you know. Yeah. I do yeah. have one thing, though. They, we do have one train that faces forward, not on the side. So if you really want to see it, don't get on the train that faces forward. <laughs> Face the train that sits on the side so you overlook the whole park. Because if you're the one that's stuck on the opposite end, all you're going to see is shrubbery and heads. That's yeah. it. Uh, so that's yeah, why, my... Any idea why why they did that? Why like one one car has the forward-facing seats where the rest of them... Was it the original? My, no. that, that was going to be my guess. I don't really know for, sure, for certain, but my guess is that that was just one of the original trains and they decided later on like hey we should actually face people out towards what we want them to look at you know and um you know it, it, the whole new Frontierland section is really nice too where you turn left uh it's like it, it's the first time it's ever turned left after they started building for star wars and you know it but it's just they've added all these little animals out there and so it's very it's like you're on the prairie almost and it's just very beautiful <laughs> All right. In addition to that, there's also the tender cars, the tender seats, where you can. There's two seats where you could actually sit behind the conductor, on at least one of the trains. I don't know if it's on any of the other trains, which gives you another unique vantage point on riding this attraction. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, thank you guys for that. That is going to do it for our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you again next week with another episode of the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. Have a great week, everybody.